morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. We are in part one. We're starting a new series today. If I could help with the lights in the, oh, there we go. Okay. If we're starting a new series today called Happily Ever After and where we are talking about everyone's favorite subject, which is marriage. marriage. Okay, very good. And I know that it's everyone's favorite subject because I always get to see people who haven't been to church in a while, but somehow when there's a marriage series, somehow there's a few less empty seats than there usually is. And the reason why, the reason why is because you know this as well as I know this. Nothing affects the quality of our lives more than marriage. Nothing will affect the quality of our lives more than marriage. If we are married, the quality of our life is directly connected more than anything else. It's not going to be the size of our house. It's not going to be the amount of our income. It's not going to be our friends. It's not going to be the number of cats that we have or whatever it may be. Like all those things will impact your life without a doubt. But the number one thing by far that's going to lead you to the high highs and the low lows in life is going to be marriage. And how do I know this? Because I'm married <laughs> to the best woman that there ever was. Okay, see that? You tricked you for a second there. Okay, that's why the... But the truth of the matter is, is that the decision whether to marry or not marry, and the decision who I am going to marry, Nothing's going to impact you for the rest of your life more than this decision. So because of that, that's why we want to talk about it over the next few weeks together. Won't do a show of hands, okay, but I would be tempted to, but because I don't want it necessarily, just hypothetically right here. Ladies, I already know the answer to this question. How many of us, how many of you, okay, when you were younger, ladies, how many dreamt of their wedding day? How many dreamt of that wedding day? And you knew exactly from it. Yeah, some people want to raise their hands. Yeah, it's all of us, okay? And we knew we were going to have, you know, the flowers. You're going to be like this. And, you know, the, the dress, you know, and the thing and the tail and the whatnot. And then, and then the bridesmaids' dresses. And maybe every now and then you even dreamt of the groom, but he was really secondary to the whole operation. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but you dreamt of that, okay? And you knew exactly what it would be. It would be the perfect day. And you remember the game, Children of the 90s? Remember the game MASH? Remember that thing? Okay, like the, the numbers and how many boys you'd have and how many girls you'd have and what's it, all this stuff. Okay, we all dreamt of that when we were young. Guys, I definitely will not ask you to raise your hands because I already know what you dreamt about. You didn't dream about your wedding day. You dreamt about your wedding night because you all have nothing on your mind except bad things, okay? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is from a young age, all of us, we think about our marriage. We think about our wedding and we think about one day what it would be like. I remember one time when my daughter Lizzie was four years old. Four years old, we took a trip to Disney World. Disney, that's our theme for today, Disney. Okay, we took a trip to Disney World, and like I wanted to do something with each of my kids like in a one-on-one -on -one way. We felt like you know, we really needed to do that. So I did the thing with Michael. It was like the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, whatever it was. It was great. Lizzie was into princesses. So I said, okay, let's do like a princess thing. And there was like a princess tea party at Disney World, a princess tea party. So I said, okay, sign me up. So me and Lizzie go. As soon as we got there, what I realized is there was 30 little girls for that little tea party. 30 little girls, 29 moms, and yours truly. <laughs> so I was out of place from the start. I was uncomfortable from the start because everyone looked at me like, you know, who, who, who brought that guy? Like, who, who brought the, the, the terrorist-looking guy in right here? And I'm just like, you know what? Hey, I paid my ticket. I'm having to sit down. I'm going to drink the little coffee, tea, whatever it may be. And we sat down for the little tea party. That day, it was like princesses, everything was princess. So like the, the princess of the day, like the, the, the princess who was giving the sermon that day or whatever you call it, okay, the keynote speaker of the day, was Sleeping Beauty. 
And she came out there, and the kids, like, they had the little roses, and they had little peanut butter jam and jelly sandwiches cut, like, the little, it was like a whole thing, okay? If you've been to Disney, they do everything like that way. And the princess, the Sleeping Beauty, comes out, and she starts her speech. And she's, like, wants to engage the audience, so she's, like, asking the kids, like, how many of you, you know, um, like, you know, what's your favorite color? So the kids are like, you know, I like this color, this color. And she's like, how many of you go to school and you're in this grade? Okay, whatever. How many of you have seen this movie? Okay. And she's asking all these questions. And then she asked a question. How many of you have ever been in love before? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Kid's 40 years old, and I'm like flipping out, and I want to stand up, grab the mic, say, have a seat, I got the rest of the sermon today. <laughs> but for my daughter's sake, I didn't do that. How many kids have been in love? And I'm like, lady, this too young. But that's our society. Turn on the radio. Every song is about love. Every movie's got to have the love interest. Every movie's got to be about, like everything's got to be surrounded this idea of love. So from a young age, we all dream of living happily ever after in marriage. The problem happens when we get married and we're still dreaming. The problem happens when we actually realize the marriage, we accomplish what we thought was supposed to get us there, and we're still wondering, when am I going to get to happily ever after? I'm still dreaming of that state. And the worst part is when it seems like, it seems like all the parts are in place. Like we love each other. I love him. I love her. We love each other. We have great fun at times, like we just like, we have, we're so compatible, it seems like. Like everything seems to be in place, yet somehow the magic ain't there, to quote them Disney people. So instead of happily ever after, we're confused and we end up asking a different question. We end up asking, why me, God? How did I end up in this place? Where do I go from here? And we end up asking this question right here. Oops, sorry. This does not seem to be working, so I'm not sure if I have the right clicker or whatnot, but if I could get a little help, sorry. We oh, there we go. We ask this question. Find ourselves asking the question, is a good marriage even possible anymore? Is a good marriage even possible? Like if we are so compatible, we love each other so much, we're both good people, he's good, I'm good, and then let's be honest, we look around, maybe we look at our parents' marriage, and it was, eh, left a lot to be desired, we thought it was just them, but then we was like, our uncle... And then it was like our brother, and then it's like our neighbors, and then it's like that nice couple in church that no one would have imagined, and they got a divorce, and then it's like, well, if it's all of them, then like, is a good marriage even possible? Is it just like, is it just a, is it just a fairy tale? Is happily ever after just something in the Disney movies, and it's not real? Real life is, you just kind of suck it up, you put on a good front on Sundays, you dress nice, you look good in front of the people, and then you just hate your life the rest of the week. Is a good marriage even possible? Y'all know me. I don't like to beat around the bush. I like to go straight. Sometimes I don't tell you what you like to hear, but I say what I believe you need to hear. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be very honest. Is a good marriage possible? It is possible, but forgive me what I'm about to say. Is it's not likely. And as soon as I say that, I'm not saying that it's unlikely, meaning that I don't mean it that like it's very, it's, it's almost impossible that you'll have it. But what I mean is it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to just... You're not going to walk into it and find yourself one day, oh, we just lucky. We just happen to have a good marriage. What I want to say is when it comes to having a good marriage, the odds, forgive me, the odds are against you. The odds are against you. And I'll liken it to this. I know that sounds bad, but think of it a different way. Give me another analogy. Staying in shape. 
okay, being healthy, having a certain, okay, body, a fat percentage, a body appearance, whatever it may be, staying in shape, is it possible? Yes, but it's not likely. The odds are against you, meaning if you do nothing, you're not going to stay in shape. Now, of course, I realize that there are some people out there who have been given a, a genetic metabolism to be able to eat whatever they want, okay, and they stay in shape, okay? If that's you, we hate you, okay? We hate you. We're honest. We pray for you, like pray for your enemies. We love you, but we hate you, okay? We hate your guts. Because the majority of us, that's not us. The majority of us, if we want to stay in shape, it's absolutely attainable and it's possible. But it ain't going to happen by accident. All of life is working against us staying in shape. All of life is working towards us losing our health. It's uh, the scientist, entropy, okay? The law of entropy, which is that everything tends towards chaos and destruction. This is the same way when it comes to our health, the same way when it comes to our marriage. So is a good marriage possible? Yes, it is possible, but it's not gonna happen by accident. It takes hard work, just like staying in shape, it takes commitment, it takes discipline. And those who are willing to do it, you can get there, but you ain't gonna get there by luck. Say that another way. I know this sounds confusing, but follow me here. If I wanna get more, I must do more. But if I wanna do nothing, I will get nothing. Does that make sense? If I wanna get more, I gotta do more. But if I wanna do nothing, then I shouldn't be surprised when I get nothing. Every area of life, not just marriage. Your health, your career, every area of life, if I want to get more, then I gotta do more. But if I don't wanna do anything, I wanna do nothing, then I shouldn't be surprised when I get nothing. The facts of, of, of life, facts of life. Marriage, like let's be honest, is at an all-time low in our country. And when I say it's at an all-time low in terms of success, okay, we often hear the number that 50% is the divorce rate. Divorce rate is 50%. Half the couples who get married get divorced. 50% divorce rate. That's troubling, but I'm gonna be honest, that's actually not the most troubling piece of it, at least to me. Because that's pretty much stayed steady over the past, you know, whatever it may be, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever. Okay, it used to be much less, but that divorce rate of 50%, which is not good, that's troubling, but let me show you something much more troubling, is not the rate of divorce, but actually the rate of marriage. Look at this, this graph up here on, on the screen. What this says is that marriages have reached an all-time low in our country, and that is the number of newly married people per 1,000 population, okay, above age 15, so per capita. Okay, and the data is as of 2019. And what this says is the number of people choosing to get married is at an all-time low. And the divorce rate is still 50%. So half of the people are getting divorced and there's half of the people who are getting married and still half of them are getting divorced. This is not encouraging. What this says to me, and by the way, this is not like good people, bad people. This is saying all kinds of people. Church people, non-church people. Okay, people who pray, people who don't pray. This is talking about people getting married. This thing says that the number of people out there who just look at marriage and say, that's not for me, is less than it's ever been, or more than it's ever. The number of people who are choosing to get married is less than it's ever been, and still, even in that smaller number, 50% are getting divorced. So let me ask you another question. If we know the divorce rate is 50%, and again, that's the common, I don't know exactly what it is, it fluctuates plus or minus, whatever it may be, what other area of life, is there any other area of life where you would accept 50-50? Would you accept 50-50, let's say, hey, you know what, I'll invite you out to lunch. 
It's on me. We're gonna go to this new restaurant, 50% chance you get cancer at the end of the day. Try this new meal. 50% chance you're gonna love it, 50% chance you get cancer. Anyone? Hey, I got this great investment idea. Give me all your money, 50% chance you lose it all. If I tell you, let's go outside today, and I'm telling you there's a 50% chance, there's a bear on the loose, there's a 50% chance you get killed by a bear walking outside today, is anyone going to want to go for a walk? In no area of life is 50-50 acceptable. In no area of life are we willing to accept 50-50, but somehow, when it comes to marriage, we've just accepted it, that's life. Well, I don't accept it. I don't accept it. I don't accept that in any area that's that important to me, I'm gonna go 50-50. I wanna do something about it. Because if I do nothing, I'm gonna get nothing. But if I want to get something more, I know that I need to do more. So I'm telling you, I made this decision, I'm challenging you to make the same decision. I want better than 50-50. Do you want better than 50-50? I pray that you say 50-50 is not good enough for me. And if you say 50-50 is not good enough for me, then that's exactly where this series is gonna come in. Because what we're gonna do in this series, we're gonna talk about five commitments, one commitment each week, five commitments that you can make, five disciplines. I'm gonna use that word disciplines even better because that's a way to be successful in any area of life is disciplines. Five disciplines that you can choose, that you can commit to. And if you commit to these things, I'm not saying I can't guarantee success, but your chance of success is significantly higher. Your chance of failure is significantly lower if you are willing to commit to these five disciplines. They're not gonna be easy. They're not gonna be fun. They're gonna take work, just like any other area of life, but it's worth it and it'll pay off in the end. If you're married, you can begin implementing these things immediately. And I will challenge you to begin implementing them every single Sunday after we speak. If you are not married, if you are single, but hoping to get married, then my hope is to show you a picture of what the successful marriage should look like so then you can begin doing the things now. And more importantly, you know what you're driving towards. So if you say, I'm not ready to do that, then you ain't ready to get married. If you say the guy I'm with or the girl I'm with, she ain't that or he ain't that, then that might not be the one for you. I'm showing you what you need to be driving towards in order to have a successful marriage. Because as I've said over and over, is that falling in love is easy, but staying in love isn't. It's never been easier to fall in love than it is today. Getting to the wedding is easier today than it's ever. You got an app for it. Everything is an app for it. You fall in love by the end of lunch today if you'd like. <laughs> but that's not our goal. Our goal is much better, much higher. Our goal is staying in love. And staying in love takes commitment and takes discipline. Speaking of weddings, you know when you see a wedding on the TV? Okay, we don't do this in the Orthodox, but you know in the wedding on the TV or in the show, there's the vows. You know, like, you know, I do solemnly swear to have and to hold and to take and to leave or whatever it is for richer, for poor, sick and health and all that stuff. And we don't do that in our church. We don't do, the Orthodox Church doesn't do vows. But there's one phrase in there which is very, very similar to our Orthodox concept. And that is when they say for better or for worse. You know what for better or for worse should mean? I don't know what it actually, I didn't write it, but I'm saying, you know what it should mean? What that means is I am committing to do X or Y, and I am committing to do those for better or for worse. So I'm committing to do it when I feel like it, when I don't feel like it. I'm committing to do it when you're nice and when you're not nice. I'm committing to do it when I'm in the mood and I'm not in the mood. When, it's, when there's football on, when there's no football on. When I'm sick and when I'm not sick, I'm committing. That's what commitment is, is discipline to say, regardless of how I feel, this is what I commit to. 
In the Orthodox wedding, we don't have vows, sort of. We actually do have vows, but it's not vows that you say as much as what we have is a vow between man and God, a covenant between man and God. It's not so much husband to wife, it is, but it's much more this. And it's God commanding me, because God doesn't give suggestions, God gives commandments. Commanding me, you're gonna be a husband, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna love your wife as Christ loved the church, you're gonna give yourself her, it's a command. And I vow in front of him that I will keep that command. Regardless of who she is or what she does, I'm gonna keep that command because it's a command between me and you. I always think of God as my father-in-law. Okay, like if you, if you, if you have a, a scary father-in-law, okay, and you like, you're gonna be held accountable in front of your father-in-law. Well, you know what? God is our fa my father-in-law, but he's also my wife's father-in-law as well. He's all of our father-in-laws if we're married. And we will answer to God. And God's gonna say, you stood in front of the altar and you promised you would do this. That's the vow. Okay, and same with the woman. Okay, it's not, not just this way, but it's that way as well. That's how we're going to approach this series. Five commitments that I'm vowing in front of God to do. The worst way you can approach marriage, the worst way is you approach marriage in a, okay, give me five things I can do to change him. Give me five things I can do to change her. Give me five things that I can do of like how to get him to be like, you, you know, like, the, the, you know, how to get the man that you want in 21 days or less or whatever it may be, or how to get the wife that you, like all that nonsense. I'm telling you, if you approach marriage, I say this with all love, if you are approaching your marriage with a, how do I get her to become? How do I get him to do? I guarantee you're going to fail. I guarantee you're going to fail. The one who's going to succeed is going to take advice from a very wise person. Okay, very wise person back when we were younger said that any change, any change must begin with the man in the mirror. <laughs> you can Google that when you go home, little kids, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at five commitments that we're gonna make, regardless of the other person. This is not, if you, if you came expecting a series of like, how to get my wife to become, or how to get my husband to become, you, I'd give, give you many books, Okay, there's many shows on the TV that you can watch. Okay, I watched what I was saying, sharing earlier on the airplane. Okay, there's many shows out there that, that can talk to you about that. That's the 50-50. That's the 50%, like, more power to you. If that's what you want, you want the 50-50 odds, I can refer you to many, many places, many shows, and you can have fun with that. But those who say, I want better than 50-50, those who say, I'm not content with 50-50, I want to get more, so I know I must do more. We're going to talk about five commitments, and I'll give you the five commitments up front. Each week, we're going to take one. The five commitments are seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never quit. Say it with me. The five commitments are what? One, seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, never quit. One more time altogether. We're going to memorize it one more time. This time, just the ladies. Let's go. One, two, three, go. The gentlemen now. One, two, three, go. We could do like, a, like row, row, row your boat. Okay, now the left side, okay? <laughs> we're going to seek God. We're going to fight fair. We're going to have fun. We're going to stay pure. We're going to never quit. You're going to memorize these, and hopefully these are going to become ingrained because these are the keys to success. Each week we'll look at one. We're going to start with the most important one, which is seek God. The problem when it comes to marriage for many people, I'm generalizing here, so you may be outlier here, but the general problem, is that the majority of people who approach marriage, and this is a lot of us, we have to be honest, okay? Like, no one's gonna call you out, but we have to be honest. We weren't really seeking God, we were seeking a spouse. 
When we got married, we weren't seeking God. We were seeking a spouse. And we wanted a spouse that was approved of by God, but the primary goal, the target wasn't like, how do I get to God? I need a spouse to help me get there. The target was, I need a spouse. God, I need you to help me get there. Do you see the difference? The problem is if you're seeking a spouse, you're seeking the wrong thing because you, in your mind, think that a spouse is the answer to your problems. And that's the way it happens with so many people. I hear this all the time, okay? Father Anthony, Father Anthony, uh, we need to talk, okay? We need to talk, whatever it is. Uh, what happened? And of course, I you know when, it, when someone's so eager, either they did a very, very, very bad thing or they met a guy. Like, that's 100%. Like, that's, there it is, okay? No one's eager to confess the sin of like, you know, I, I, I slept in on a Sunday. No, that, so it's, I met a guy. Oh, yeah, tell me about the guy. And he's so great and he's so cute and he's so funny and he got this job and he's got the dimples and I'm like, okay, like, that's great. Like, I don't really care about that stuff. But, but, what always ends up with, I think I found the one. I think I found the one. And I just, like my heart inside, I want to say, I hope you realize that that one ain't going to solve your problems. I hope you realize that he's great. And again, the dimples are great and the hair is great and the job, like all that stuff is great. But you are setting yourself up for disappointment with this unrealistic expectation that any person is the answer to all your problems. Do you know what I'd rather hear? Like what I dream to hear? And the couples that, I, that I, I have a much better feeling is when I hear, Father Anthony, I met this person. He's so godly. He's such a man of prayer. He leads me closer to God. And I've never seen someone so strong in his faith. I think I found the one. Or when I hear, I met the most beautiful woman. Beautiful woman of faith. Inner beauty beyond belief. She leads me and inspires me and wants me to, leads me to think about the kingdom of God and how we can serve God. Those are the ones that I feel good about. Because those are the people who understand this. That God is your one. And your spouse is actually your two. We just finished up a series on money where we were talking about how money is not the end. It's just a means to the end. Well, you know what? Marriage is similar. Marriage is not the end of life. Marriage is not the goal. And if you think it's the goal, then you're going to be in problems. Because you know why? Because every person, no matter how great they are, okay, think of the greatest person, the greatest husband there is. <laughs> whoever, okay, whoever it is in your mind, okay? The greatest husband, the greatest wife. Okay, let, I'll talk about me and Marianne. I think I'm pretty good, and I, think, I know for a fact she's the best. But she's got flaws, and I got flaws. And she's got bad days, and I got bad days. And each one of us has a little bit of pride, each one of us has a little bit of anger. Each one of us has a little bit of obnoxiousness. Like each one of us has our flaws. Some maybe more than others, but each one of us have it. So what happens when you take two people, each with flaws, lock them in a house together and say you're never allowed to leave? 50-50 if they make it out alive. 50-50. The only way it works is you put someone in there who can unify and calm, and that's God. God is the unifying agent. So I ain't seeking a marriage. I ain't seeking a person. What I'm seeking is God. And the marriage is a means to help me to get there. And I'm telling you, if you don't get this right, I promise you, if you don't get this right, life will never work and you will blame him and you will blame her. You will blame me. You will blame God. You will blame everyone in the world. But the truth of the matter is, if the person is your one, it doesn't work. Exodus chapter 20, verse three, Old Testament, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. 
We know about this and we know idolatry is bad and you shouldn't worship the, the cows or the river or the sun. But did you ever think that marriage might be an idol for some people? If you seek marriage more than you seek God, that's an idol. And maybe, maybe the reason why things aren't working out in the marriage the way we thought it would is because maybe we approached it with the wrong mindset. That marriage was the solution. And the truth of the matter is, marriage is just a means. God is the one. Marriage is the two. So what does it mean to seek God? Well, here's how I'm going to approach this. Okay, I realize we got married in a room and not married in a room. So I'm going to speak to two groups, okay? And I'll circle back with everyone together. But first, I want to talk to group one. Is the non-marrieds, but hoping to marry. And those who are approaching today and saying, you know what, I ain't married, but I hope to get there one day. And if it happens to be today, it wouldn't hurt my feelings, okay? And I tell you that if it does happen to me today, you name your first kid Anthony, you're welcome, okay? But <laughs> if that's you, that you are not married today and you are hoping one day to meet the one, then I'm gonna tell you this. This is what you need to do. This needs to be the driving force of your life. You need to commit to, I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. Sometimes when I, when I get a, like a, a dating, uh, people who are dating, I draw them this picture, it's like a triangle. God is at the top, boy, girl. What happens is so often, boy here, he's pursuing God, and this girl who's pursuing God as well, and then all of a sudden they meet each other, and then all of a sudden it's, they pursue each other and they get close together and they end up getting married here, but the problem is here, you're far away from where you need to get to, you're far away from God. This is a 50-50 marriage. Even though it started off great, pursuing God, but then they pursued each other. What needs to happen, if you are not married, hoping to be married, you need to pursue God, pursue God, pursue God. You see this nice girl at the corner of your eye, this nice guy, that's great. Talk to them, get to know them, continue to pursue God, pursue God, pursue God. If it's from God, you know where you will meet? And that's the way marriage is supposed to work. Not a unity of two. Not two people who love each other so much and are so united and so compatible and such common interests. That's 50-50. The marriages that work are the marriages where it's a unity of three, of God, man, and woman. And what you're going to do, if this is you in this category, the driving force of your life, we will seek God we will worship God, we will serve God, we will pursue God, we wanna get married. I'm not saying we don't wanna get married. I'm not saying we just sit in a room and cry. I'm saying we are going to get to know and we're gonna be out there, we're gonna talk on community and fellowship and lunch and young adults, whatever. like that's great. We can do all that stuff. But the driving force of my life will always be I seek God one, I seek spouse two. I seek God one, I seek spouse two. I will continue to seek the one every day of my life while preparing myself for my two while preparing myself to be that man of faith, that woman of inner beauty. But I'll always seek God first. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. We seek God, we trust him for the rest. That applies to food, that applies to money, that applies to marriage. Think back to the very first marriage. Okay, if you're single, Adam and Eve, gentlemen, what did Adam have to do to get Eve? What app did he go on? How much effort, how much effort did Eve have to do to get her man? How much effort did Adam need to do to get his girl? Nothing. He went to sleep. He woke up and there's Eve and she's dressed for the wedding night, like ready to go, like boom. He did nothing. 
He pursued God. He had God in his life. God was the only one because God was the only one. So God was clearly his one. And God said, here's your two. No problem. I got you covered. But the key is you pursue God one and spouse two. And you know why this is so important? This is so important. I'm going to tell you a basic principle of life that is so intuitive and it makes so much sense. And you will agree with this, but somehow we miss it when we're dating. We miss it completely when we're in that single phase, even though it's true in every other aspect of life. That is this. You attract what you are. Single people, you know this. You attract what you are. You don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. So if you decide that you want a godly marriage, then you know what you need to be? A godly single person. If you want to have a marriage that glorifies God, you need to have a single life that glorifies God. True story that I heard a pastor tell in a sermon one time. Talked about this Christian girl who was like a good girl and, you know, she loved God and she grew up in the church, but then she went away to college. She, you know, kind of lost her way a little bit. And when she went to college, you know, partying a little bit here and, you know, maybe drinking over there and, you know, got involved, like boyfriends, whatever. But she was still a good girl. Like in her mind, she was like, you know what? I, just, just for this phase. But of course, I'm still a good girl and I'm going to come back. Like everything's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, she met her dream guy. And this guy was everything. And he was a great guy. And she came back to her mom and she's like, mom, I met the greatest guy. Like he's the most godly person. Like he's, he, he serves God. And you know, he, he's, he's like volunteers in the church. Like he listens to all of Father Anthony's sermons. Like he's the best, clearly the best guy in the world. And I, you know what? I want to marry that guy. And you know what the mother said to the daughter? The mother said, well, sweetheart, you need to know a guy like that isn't looking for a girl like you. And that's the truth. Why would a guy who's committed himself to purity and godliness want a girl who didn't? Why would a guy who's given his life to the church and is in the church want a girl who isn't? You attract what you are. You can wishful thinking like, no, I can live that life and attract that. That ain't, that ain't reality. You want a guy who's kept himself pure? You keep yourself pure. You want a girl who will lead you closer to God? Then you pursue a life and get closer to God. Like, it's, it's up to you. You want a spouse? Let me stop saying girl, guys, so I won't get myself in trouble right here. You want a spouse who is dishonest? Be dishonest. You want a spouse who loves to party? Party. But the bottom line is you attract what you are. So if you want to change what you attract, you want to attract a person with morals, then be a person with morals. You attract what you are. That's hard to hear, but truth of the matter is, that's life. And because you are saying that I want more, that's what you're saying. You said, I don't, I, I don't accept 50-50. That's what you said. I don't accept 50-50. Single people, we don't accept 50-50. I want more, I'm going to do more. I want better, I'm going to live better. Because I know that if I do nothing, I will get nothing more than everyone else. I will seek the one while preparing for the two. Let's shift over to the married people. Group number two. This is what your commitment is. I will seek, I will always seek the one with my two. I will always, say it with me actually, say it all together, all the married people, okay? I will always seek the one with my two. The, the, the single people, you're going to seek God while preparing for your two. The married people, you already are connected. 
you're going to grab hands. You're going to say, we're heading up to the top of that triangle. That's where we belong. A marriage will never succeed unless God is in the chair of one and spouse is in the chair of two. And again, a lot of married people, you know this to be true. When we first got married, this is how it was. And we love God. We're going to serve God. And we love God and everything like that. And the spouse is two and God is one. But what happens normally is that as life goes on, okay, when I mean life goes on means kids, okay, but it doesn't have to be just kids, but it could be anything, busyness, job, whatever it is, but oftentimes it's the kids, is that somehow the chairs get confused. God is supposed to be in the chair of one, spouse is supposed to be in the chair of two. And somehow as life goes on, each one of those chairs gets, it gets occupied by the wrong person. Maybe children sit in one of those chairs. Maybe it's career, maybe it's friends, maybe it's selfish, I don't need to find myself, whatever it may be, I don't know what that means. Some ones gets in the wrong chair. Well, if you are going in an airplane, there's two chairs in the cockpit. There's gotta be a pilot and a co-pilot. And you need to have the right person in each one. You can't bring little Jimmy to sit in the co-pilot or the pilot chair. That's nice, when we were kids, we used to take visits to the cockpit. That was before 9-11, it doesn't happen anymore. I don't know how that was, that was allowable at any point in time, but God needs to be in the chair of one and we pursue him as the one. Spouse needs to be in the chair of two, we pursue him or her as the two. Anytime these chairs get confused with anything, that's where there's going to be problems. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus was asked the great commandment, like it's the number one commandment. He said, very simple, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment, married people. He didn't say, love your spouse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should absolutely, I should love my wife, she should love me. But the first priority is to love my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a marriage verse. This is a marriage verse. This is marriage advice, that if you want the blessing of God in your life, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If not, you know what's going to happen? You will enter a very common cycle that I see all the time with couples, and I guarantee if you're married, you've been in this situation. It's the cycle of idolize to demonize. Idolize to demonize, what I mean by that? It means when you're single and you're dating, we tend to take our spouse's characteristics, which don't change when they get married, by the way. The same characteristics, we idolize them, we get married, we demonize them. So before marriage, ladies, or start with the men. Before marriage, she's so organized. She's so considerate. She thinks of every detail. She's so great. After marriage, married a control freak. Well, leave me alone. Nag me at every single detail. I can do it. I can handle it. Leave me alone. It's the same lady. It's the same lady. Ladies, he's so laid back before marriage. He's so relaxed. So easygoing. After marriage, so lazy. A bump on a log would call him lazy. Because the truth is, truth is, you put the people in the wrong chair. No spouse. No spouse can meet that need. No spouse can meet every need. No spouse can fulfill every. No spouse will give you happily ever after. We seek God, number one, and we do it with our spouse. Now, I want to be very practical. What does that mean practically to seek the one with my two? And I want to speak very practically to the married people in this room. I'm going to give you an assignment to do. And you're going to say, oh, it's so hard. But I promise you, it's the easiest thing in the world when you factor in the effort for the reward. Okay, that ratio. There's things that are easier, but it'll give you less reward. So I wanted to think, what is the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak? What is the simplest thing that you can do 
that I believe will give you the greatest return on investment. And I'm going to challenge you to do something which sounds, if you you're not in the habit, you're going to think it's so hard and I can't do it, but I promise you, we're going to start small. We are going to get there. This is going to be what I believe is the one habit that frees you and opens the realm to blessing in your marriage more than anything else. And that is simple. Pray together daily. Pray together daily. Not complicated. It's to stand together, holding hands, and I'm a big fan of holding hands, and pray together to your heavenly father. Single people are thinking to themselves, well, that's easy. Wait till you get married. <laughs> Wait till you get married. Okay, just sit tight. Sounds easy. I tell that to couples, and what I hear is from wives, I've tried. He doesn't want to pray. Tell him every day. All day I tell him, we need to pray, we need to pray, we need to pray. And for some reason, that doesn't excite him to pray. <laughs> Husbands say, I can't do that because all it is when we pray together is just her complaining to God about me. <laughs> just her going to my boss and telling him how bad I am. So you know what? Like, no thank you. <laughs> I know it's not easy. And again, single people, I know it sounds easy, but married people, I get it. This is the hardest thing to commit to, a regular daily prayer. But I promise you, nothing will pay dividends in your life more than this because this is the way that we practically remind ourselves that we're climbing that ladder. We didn't marry for this. We married for this, to be connected up here. We didn't marry just so we could be close and always be together. We married so we had a partner to help me. I'm climbing the mountain to get to God and I found a partner who can help me climb that mountain and I can help her. So let's go together. And the, when we pray, we remind ourselves that our marriage is not about just like, how can I make you happy? And how can you make me happy? And how can we get a bigger house? How can we get a better job? That's not what our marriage is about. Our marriage is about our partner and our mission to heaven. And if Marianne was here, she would tell you. And husbands, gentlemen, I'm telling you, your wives would agree with this statement. We may not get it, but our wives would, 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 would agree with this. Nothing makes our wives feel closer than when we pray together as a married couple. And there is something intimate about it. There is something about bearing one's soul in front of God and laying naked in front of God and saying, this is who I am. And I'm not ashamed in front of you. And I'm not ashamed in front of her. There's something about it that is a very intimacy-inducing experience, which is why, back to single people, I tell single people all the time that you should not, you should not commit to praying together daily. You should not be, especially in the same room together where there's a bed. <laughs> because it's very intimacy inducing. I'm not saying you don't pray together, you pray, but you gotta be careful about the overly intimate because prayer is one of those things. Married people is why I tell you, especially husbands, you should definitely pray together in a room where there's a bed. <laughs> because nothing is more intimacy inducing than praying together. And that's not bad, that's a good thing. There was a survey from Family Life um, and it said, I shared this one time during like a, a men's retreat. It was like a men's thing about marriage. And it said 80% of couples that pray together report an increase in their sexual satisfaction. 80% of couples that pray together report an increase in their sexual satisfaction. I said that once. I'm telling you, the number, the spirituality of the men in that room shot through the roof. Every man wanted to pray. Every man, like, where's my prayer book? Okay, like, where, like, where? Very spiritual men after that, okay? But the point is, it's a very intimate thing. It's a bonding thing. So if you're single, you be careful. You don't open this door until the time is right. But if you're married, you absolutely seek this unity together in prayer and it will lead 
to more unity, hopefully. Okay, if all things work out right. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Who knows if that verse, heal their land, might be heal their marriage, heal their home, heal their family. Who knows? You're sitting there and saying, I tried everything with him. I tried with her. We tried the counseling. We read the book. Then nothing. Well, did you try this? Because this is a promise from God. This is if my people will stop trying to fix him or her. If my people will grab the hand of their spouse, bow the knee in front of the cross, and say, God, you're one, everything else is two. Did you try that? Because maybe that's what's missing in your home. And I'm telling you, there's something powerful. And again, I can't put it into words. Marianne will tell you the same thing. To stand together and to hear one another pray for each other. To hear her pray for me and my ministry. To hear me pray for her or pray for our kids or pray for our... There's something very bonding about that. And maybe that's where the healing will take place. You say, but we never prayed together before. That's okay, we can start. You say, but we're fighting now. And I say, well, maybe the, the prayer will help stop the fighting. You say, but it's uncomfortable. I say, you're married. Get used to uncomfortable. Married life is uncomfortable. Get used to it. That's not an excuse to not to do it. Because trust me, this one habit, people who pray together, are much, you're much more likely to open the Bible together when you pray together. You're much more likely to go to church together. You're much more likely to go to confession Individually, you're much more likely, you're much more likely to say the words, I'm sorry, when you pray together. I promise you. Trust me, this one habit will open the door to so many others. And in case you don't believe me, back to a survey from a group called Family Life, okay, which is a Christian group, talks about marriages. And they did a survey, this is probably, you know, five, six, seven years ago, somewhere around there. And it said that fewer than 8% of Christian couples pray together. Fewer than 8% of Christian couples pray together. That's not the statistic I wanted to show you. They studied those 8% of those Christian couples that pray together. And they discovered that of those that do, fewer than 1% divorce. You want 50-50? Good luck. I want 99-1. You can have 50-50. I'll take 99-1. 99-1 says that the couples that pray together Less than 1% divorce. Now, not a lot of couples pray together, and that's a sad statistic, but we can work on that. At least I hope in this room here today we're going to work on that. But the statistic that I believe in wholeheartedly is that bottom one. The couples that do, much higher chance of success. That's what I want for my marriage. That's what I want for my kids' marriage. That's what I want for your marriage as well. I'm about to wrap up. And when we do, we always conclude by standing in prayer. But since we're talking about married couples praying together, I'm going to challenge you. Hopefully, you're sitting next to your spouse. Okay, hopefully. When we do, okay, if you're sitting next to someone who's not your spouse, this does not apply to you. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you, if you're sitting next to your spouse, when we pray, don't make a big show of it, but I want you to hold their hand. Okay? Again, if you're single, keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> you can hold on to your own hands, okay? 
I know some people are like, I need to be more strategic in where I sit next week, okay? <laughs> I know some people are going to have their seats reserved early on next week. I am going to challenge you to grab your spouse's hand as we pray and to make this commitment together that we are going to pray together daily for the rest of this series, even if it's just our Father. Even if it's just, like, I don't care if it's in the first thing in the morning. I don't care if it's at lunchtime, if you work from home. I don't care if it's right before bed. doesn't matter. For five weeks, five weeks, five weeks is nothing. Five weeks is nothing. Five weeks in the grand scheme of things, if your marriage, the rest of your life, five weeks is nothing. And if I'm asking you to do something for five weeks, for 30 seconds a day, for five weeks, that could change the trajectory of your life, and your kids who are watching your marriage could change the trajectory of their life. I'm telling you, it's worth it. I'm going to challenge you to commit to stand in front of God and to pray together every day, even if it's just pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I want you to remember this verse as you do. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. It says, call to me. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That's a verse for everyone. Call to me. Call to me. That's a marriage verse again. That's not just a life verse. That's a marriage verse. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. If you're single, hoping to be married one day, you take this verse and you say, I am going to commit. I am going to commit to seek the one while preparing for my two. I'm preparing for my two. I'm still talking to that boy. I'm still talking to that girl. I'm getting to know people. That's fine. I'm not against it. But the highest priority in my life, the driving force in my life, from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to sleep, I will seek the one. I will seek the one. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will call to him and I will wait for him to answer and show me great mighty things. If you're married, then what you're going to do is you're going to seek the one with your two. Because something that maybe you did in the beginning, but you're going to continue to do that. You're going to recommit that our marriage is not for us. Our marriage is not for us or for our kids. Our marriage is for the kingdom of God. We will hold hands nightly. We will pray together. We will seek the one with the two, and we will trust that in that, God will work in amazing ways. Okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. And we know, Lord, that you have a great plan for every single one of us. And we know marriage is part of that for a lot of the people in this room. So we're praying, Lord, that as we approach marriage, if we're single or as we approach marriage, that we're in it right now, that nothing ever clouds out you, that you are one, Lord, everything else is two. We will seek you first, Lord, and we will commit to doing that, especially over these next five weeks. And we will trust that when we call out to you and we seek you first, that you will heal us that you will answer our prayers and show us things that we only imagined and never thought would happen to us. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you, and we really pray that during this time that you would bring healing to so many people's hearts and homes and marriages. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week.